Mika Fuschling, my guest on this edition of the Music Meets podcast with me, Magica. Mika Fuschling, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, composer and live looping performance artiste. Born in 1981, Mika grew up surrounded by music and started to play the acoustic guitar aged eight, the violin aged nine, but it was when he discovered the electric guitar aged 11 that all the pieces fell into place. He still uses a whole host of guitar effects in his production work today, not only on the guitars, of course, but on anything and everything that makes a sound. Mika avoids going stale in his music making by playing a plethora of instruments, saw, drums, accordion, mandolin, charanga, Cavaquinho, which I've never heard of, synths, cue chord, zither, tenorion, you get the idea. Currently based between Malmö and Copenhagen, his main work is in the groups Fayela, Nuaya, I'm trying my best here, and The Madman's Moustache, that's easier to pronounce. Another of his projects, and how I discovered his work, is with Lure, a futuristic live looping project which mixes progressive, squelchy, pitch-shifting, shape-shifting electro with stage outfits more gaga than gaga. Mika also composes and performs live music for theatre, circus and performance art. A little birdie tells me that Mika has also played in a group supporting Bob Dylan, although I suspect that maybe wasn't Lure, with their lace-covered faces and fluorescent feather-coated shoulder pads, because I don't think Bob could have competed with that. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice. It's, it's great to have you here. So let's kick off straight away. What's your first choice? My first choice is uh, the Harmatma theme music, and it's the sad theme by Kalanyai. Anandji. <laughs> I can't correct you, we're trying our best. Okay, let's have a listen. Okay, so that was Kalanyi Ananji. I'm so sorry, Kalanyi, I can't pronounce your name. With Da Matma theme music, the sad theme. Exactly. So why did you pick this track? The first time I heard it, it uh, felt like me. When I work with music, I always have the elements of a beat and um, a bass line or a riff and some chord progression and uh, a melody. And yeah, when I heard this, it was like, okay, that, that could actually be me, if, I don't know how many years ago, but yeah. probably 50 years ago or something. Yeah, I just did a quick Google, apparently it's 1975. Yeah. It sounds really modern, right? Yeah, yeah, it's modern sound and also like the drums playing, it's not too many fills or anything, yeah. it's pretty like stable groove. So it feels like a loop. Yeah, I, yeah I, almost, uh, almost. Yeah, what's interesting is that in Bollywood, there's such kind of, if we're going to be polite, uh, borrowers, <laughs> they yeah. borrow stuff all the time from Western pop music. But what they did really smartly here is that, like you say, there's not too many fills, so it's just grooving along. Yeah. It feels like a loop, obviously it's 
not a loop, I don't think. I don't think that was possible. They no, could have no, had a tape loop. No, no, but I mean, that's, I mean, for sure it's played. Mm. And also, uh, when I went to the Music Academy in Malmö, on my end concert, it was with this song as well. Oh, wow. So, because... After some years of just studying music, this was like, it can't be better than this, so... So you performed it? Yeah, I performed it. Wow! So that was also really nice. So did you arrange it yourself? Did yeah. you try to copy the arrangement or...? Yeah, well, we're more or less playing it as it sounds. I mean, mm. it has a great sound and I love the guitars, just one note, fuzzy guitar. Yeah. Instead of playing a long solo or whatever, it's so much... Yeah more information in that note than in many notes. Yes, there is a kind of like economy here, which I think we're maybe not used to in Bollywood because Bollywood, particularly modern yeah, yeah. Bollywood, is everything, chuck everything in. So yeah, I think it sounds really unique for that reason, actually. Yeah. I've written down here, mariachi trumpets. There's something yeah. that sounds like a kind of, <laughs> I don't know, a New Orleans funeral. Uh, I, I haven't seen the film, so I don't quite know what happens in it, but um, that's very evocative, I think. Yeah, the trumpet, yeah, I think everything is nice with it, like the mix and the vocal coming in in the end and also like the flute theme and mm. yeah, it's a really spare sound that trumpets are really nice. Yeah, when that voice comes in, that texture is directly, it's Bollywood. Yeah. There's something about the placement yeah, yeah. of the, ah, I can't do it, but just sing ah and you're like, yeah, it's Bollywood yeah. straight away. I find that absolutely fascinating. It's the same with flamenco. You just sing a... Ah, and just the way it's placed and the way it resonates in the body and it immediately evokes a certain tradition. Because yeah. this track doesn't feel very Bollywood at all, but as soon as that voice comes in, I know that it's... Yeah, in, where it comes from, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. The recording we've just heard is pretty heavily distorted. Um, I suspect that's because it comes from an old vinyl and someone's kind yeah, of... Yeah, probably, yeah. And it hasn't really been remastered, I would imagine, or I don't know if someone has somewhere. Um, but that's interesting as well. I think it adds to the recording. When you discovered it, did you have a kind of heavily distorted version like that for reference? Yeah, I think that's the version. I mean, it was my girlfriend. She borrowed some CDs from the library and this was one of them. And then, yeah, we were just listening to it. And as you said, I mean, all Bollywood tracks are really crazy and so many things happening all the time. And like, it's just a mix of impressions from the Western society, music society. Yeah. But then when this came, it was like, okay, yeah, so nice song. And like, yeah. it really jumped out of the competition. So. Well, something has just struck me. We've spoken on the podcast previously about these awful two words, cultural appropriation, yeah. which is when, you know, supposedly Western European artists pick up and steal ideas from the rest of the world and they shouldn't because it's bad. Well, Bollywood's been doing it for years and it's all the better for it, yeah. you know. And when I hear a track like this, I think, Okay, well, let's just keep borrowing stuff and stealing stuff. West, East, East, West, because it's interesting. And, yeah, and it I love stealing. I mean, the more you do it, the better it is. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, because we can take that discussion. But for me, I never been like, I never learned something good enough to like have been taking the tradition. I just been stealing from yeah. <laughs> all the traditions all the time. So yeah, and I love it. I mean, that makes interesting music. I think so too. Yeah, we agree. Okay, moving on to my first choice. Um, we've just heard a pretty heavily distorted recording. I'm not sure if that was intentional, although actually a lot of Bollywood music ends up very distorted. Yeah, I mean, that's the sound. I, I guess it's the sound and also, yeah, the way it's been yeah, shared. Yeah, of course, like recorded. And well, I'm now going to a track which I'm pretty sure is meant to sound distorted a certain amount. 
I think most people don't notice it, but I notice it. And all the versions I've come across are slightly distorted. I think it's a deliberate choice. This is Nelly Furtado with Say It Right. Nelly Furtado with Say It Right. Every time I hear that track, I forget quite how amazing it is. And then I put it on, I'm like, that's really amazing. And then I forget. And then I put it on, that's really amazing. I have a very short memory, obviously. It's amazing production, right? Yeah, really nice. Really nice beat as well. Like, you really feel the, it's a lot of small parts built together. And exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, we spoke about a kind of economy of elements yeah. in the previous track. And here, I really feel that's the case. I mean, by the end, there's quite a lot going on, but you hear everything. It's not that kind of pop production where it's just layer, 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 and you can't even really make out any of the instruments. Here, I can, I feel I can hear pretty much everything, but then every time I hear it, I hear something new yeah. because you think, oh, there's a little pad going, which I yeah. hadn't quite noticed before. There are so many things I love about this track. The first thing that struck me then listening to it all the way through is there's no chorus at the end she does a kind of third verse and then it ends that's nice you know the easiest thing in the world would have been a do -do 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 -do. oh you yeah, know uh, come on everybody yeah, now double yeah chorus it, it makes it feel really nice and kind of a little bit arty a little bit unexpected i think this is timberland producing it i'm pretty sure interestingly her voice you know nelly Furtado is blessed with a slightly nasal voice yeah. in fact an incredibly nasal voice that's her unique sound but i think they've done a really good job on this track of making the most of it because it's very dynamic and they haven't compressed it too much so no. you get this kind of mm, you got it yeah, it's, yeah I, I was thinking about like it's pretty nasal and a pretty sticky voice sound as well yeah like Today you don't hear it. Today everything's so compressed. I don't know when this is, which year Ooh, this is from. Good question. Must have been about 10 years ago, I guess. Maybe eight. But I think, yeah, like on The Voice, you could tell it's not from nowadays or it's uh, yeah. when everything is smashed together with the compressor. Absolutely. I think that probably she got a really good feeling in the studio with the, the team, the production team, yeah. and then could do something a little bit different. And it ended up being a really big single off the album, actually. Yeah. But I love that space in it. And it's the kind of space, like you say, you can only really allow yourself when you trust your producer and when the producer trusts the artist. Because yeah. if in doubt, let's add some guitars, let's add some more synths, you know. But it feels really like a, a special collaboration, I think, between producer and artist. Um, I really love that. And I, I also think it's probably, I don't know, but I would guess it's like some real hand claps as well. Mm. And then on, on the chorus, they had some uh, Glückenspiel. All like real samples really make a lot for the sound of a song. Yeah which I'm really into, like adding samples from real life, which makes it more vivid and like, and I think you could tell it in this one that it's, 
I mean, it's mainly electronic, but there are some sounds from real samples as well. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's all based around voices as well. You hear the yeah. few layers, yeah, yeah. actually. There's obviously the, hey, that happens every so yeah. often. Hey, but then there's also this the weird, pitch, yeah, uh, which is actually a bit out, out of time, which is interesting. It's not, if you listen carefully, that's not in time, that loop. Yeah. And of course they did it deliberately. Yeah. So you get something a bit wild, a bit untamed. Yeah, floating uh, measures like... Yeah, I think all of that adds up to a really interesting mix of stuff. Um, I've also written down here, I guess that drum sample is a darabuka or something like that. It's got yeah. that kind of, you know, Turkish feel. So it kind of comes back to what we were talking about before. Just sample stuff, yeah, take I stuff, think. get inspired. I'm sorry, but if Bollywood can sample or at least, you know, in 1975, imitate that kind of kind of beat and they're okay with it then I think Nelly Furtado can be okay sampling a Dawabuka yeah for sure yeah the more sampling the more uh, borrowing from other styles the better yeah absolutely uh, one last thing I had to say is that on the second verse where those BVs come in backing vocals come in and they really reply to what she's doing the melody is so simple da 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 do, do, do. you can't have a simpler tune than that mm. and so they did the really smart thing of having the backing vocals do something else they're singing a different tune it's kind of call and response yeah. and it doesn't just imitate it over and over again it's constantly evolving it's constantly changing you have this whole kind of other song happening behind again really smart choices yeah. i think it really elevates it to a kind of you know higher level of production yeah yeah but i think it was nice that it's that it was let to be this soft and like not growing too much but just having all the layers bubbling and adding some new but not too much yeah yeah nice great okay let's move on to your second selection what have you chosen next then it's uh, delia derbyshire with uh, love without sound great let's have a listen was Delia Derbyshire with Love Without Sound. So, 1969. <laughs> Amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, this song as well, when I first heard it, it was like, okay, I mean, it, it can't be so old. Listening to the music from that time, it's mainly electric guitars and organs, but sitting and doing this with tape recorders, I mean, that's completely amazing. Yeah. I think it sounds really modern again. But then, yes, I have this kind of dual process. I'm listening and saying, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I like it. It sounds really modern. Uh, then I'm trying to think of the processes that she went through yeah. in order to get this onto tape. Yeah, yeah, it, it must be such a work. I mean, at some points, I mean, all the breaks and stuff, it's like always so like having a beat repeater, but cutting that into the tape, it's not perfect in time, but it's so genius. And also like with the bass lines and stuff, which I think are like sample things pitched in different pitches and, and probably having three uh, tape recorders going on at the same time. And 
it's it's really amazing the irony is that i think hipsters nowadays would probably kill to have that level of freedom and of experimentation Um, but it was a necessity and like you say when the loops are a little bit out of time and a bit wonky that was because they didn't have quantize (laughs) they couldn't they couldn't do it any other way Yeah, no way they could have either. Probably to sync them, they have to press play at the same time. So, yeah. But I I also love this kind of working with music, which I also do a lot myself. Only using the computer for um, recording stuff. But all things recorded, all the sounds, is nice when they come from the outside world, like using old synthesizers or like oscilloscopes and uh, tape echoes. And what chants are doing to the music is so nice. And with the computer, you can always almost tell what's going on and what's gonna yeah. happen so i really love that i mean also the strange things going up yeah it's so playful i mean the whole song is so playful absolutely i really like the vocals as well because they really sound hipstery to me yeah, it yeah. sounds so modern because of that just before punk yeah and before you know new wave this is a kind of new wave vocal it must have just sounded so utterly incomprehensible to people yeah. at the time and also so nice to think that she has been sitting in the BBC studios and working with the serious films and stuff and then probably doing this kind of stuff in the free time and like... Yeah. Well, one thing we have to just mention, and we have mentioned it previously on the podcast, is the fact that when women do amazing production work, in fact, when women do pretty much anything in the history of music, often they don't get spoken about as much. And I don't think the name Delia Derbyshire rolls off the tongue so much as other people like Karl-Heinz Stockhausen and various others. And I think that's a great shame. On this podcast, we've played the woman who pretty much invented rock and roll, who is Sister Rosetta Tharp. Mm. not the most famous woman in the world but her style of playing the electric guitar yeah that's that's amazing as well <laughs> yeah that's great it's just we could go on about it but the fact is that's that's how it is and we're celebrating her now anyway and i think her work has been reappraised a little bit particularly with the success of doctor who coming back everyone has said wow what an amazing theme tune oh delia derbyshire in the bbc radiophonic workshop but i think particularly as producers i met a female producer recently in stockholm And I was really surprised because she makes pop music. And I think she's pretty much the first female pop producer I've ever met. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about all this thing. And for me, I mean, I know more female um, composers and producers than male, actually. And so for sure, that's not the truth that it's only men doing it. Yeah. I think it's changing. I think particularly with composers. Yeah. I've had a great female composer on the podcast and, and she's doing everything she can to try and support and nourish women who have potential who maybe hadn't even thought of it or hadn't thought that it could be a career. I yeah. suppose that's the next step, really. Yeah, it could be a whole uh, podcast about yes, this theme. But I, yeah, I think it's something with the computer that opens up a little bit for everybody that you don't need to be a guitar geek to do music. Or it's true, yeah. Hopefully, it, yeah, just gonna blow and yeah. get as equal as possible. It's it's true that with things like GarageBand that are so easy to use, it's kind of no excuse. If you can send an email, you can record you can record a piano part, you know, yeah. with your one finger. It's a great kind of leveler. It gives everybody a chance. Yeah, but but, I mean, everybody I know is sitting with Ableton and doing much more stuff than I ever can do with Ableton. Maybe it's also, yeah, that technology has caught up now. You know, Delia Derbyshire had to have guts 
to fight her way through and to not be laughed at. People must have laughed at this music at the time and thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, I have no clue. I mean, I don't know even if someone were buying the records and I mean, she couldn't perform it live. So probably it was just some obscure records in the record store or yeah. who bought this it's I would love to have it. it. It's wonderful because now it can be reappraised and we can talk about it, we can listen to it. Yeah. You know, the internet is a great thing. Okay, let's move on to my second choice. I've chosen a piece by the composer Gavin Bryars and this is Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet. Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet Never So that was Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet by Gavin Bryars. Now, dear listener, you have not got a sense of this piece because you've just heard about 40 seconds of it. Let me explain. This is a sample, before samples really were invented, in 1971. The composer came across a documentary and there was a man living rough in London and he sang this. Gavin Bryce found it quite moving and found that it made quite a nice loop and that it was actually in tune when he came to play with it on his piano. I'm reading an article online and it says that apparently he popped out to work on something else while this loop was running, came back and the people who could overhear it in the nearby room were very subdued and some of them were sitting quietly weeping to themselves. So he knew he was onto something powerful and it's true that that vocal is so beautiful it's so vulnerable and you really feel the emotion having said that when you experience it live it really is an experience of course you enter into this minimalist state of mind where you just have to accept after about 10 minutes you're beyond boredom you are now in trance (laughs) because it just goes on and on and on and on chosen quite a lot of minimalism but it's I'm, i'm quite a big fan of minimalism we've listened to a version that was 25 minutes long interestingly because that was all they could squeeze onto one side of an lp so when cds were invented they did a longer version to fill out a cd um 74 minutes long yeah there's a version where tom waits gets involved and starts singing he does his best tramp voice with the tramp that's really moving because then you have this guy who has this rough and ready voice but has had a whole career and the guy who hasn't had a career as a singer but now he is and now he's being celebrated yeah. and I just love the way the music emerges from um, the vocal yeah I got really touched by it it's something with the knowing something and imagining something and then with fading in violence you get really I mean it's hard to not get touched by it yeah and somehow picturing this man in your head when you listen to it it's I mean it gets really beautiful beautiful story and I'm really touching by something getting so big from something small in the world. But Again, we, I think but, we've got um, our theme of the podcast, economy, yeah. using not so much information, but turning it into something really beautiful. Yeah. It's true, because if you'd got him singing more verses, it wouldn't at all have the same effect. This is just 13 bars that mm. are just looped. And it sounds like he's frozen in time 
like he'll live forever i mean we're listening to it now i presume the man is long dead i think he he died quite a long time ago but this moment is frozen in time and and it will continue it's it's still performed today this piece but but how was the first recording done do you know that or i think it's a tape loop i think it was literally just a long piece of tape i would imagine that they just had run 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 and then kind of fade it up yeah Yeah. i saw it live it was performed at my college where i was studying music um obviously this was you know late 90s so (laughs) cds have been invented so i think they just had a a pre-recording and what's interesting is that all the musicians are really at the service of this man and he's not there so you're listening to his voice and particularly that jesus blood you have to wait Yeah, yeah you're kind of melding in with him really that's what's so beautiful he's the conductor yeah even though he wasn't even singing in a concert hall he was singing on the streets of london yeah yeah i'm also really a fan of slow build-ups and like just adding a little bit like these pieces done as well you get a little bit more information each round goes and then suddenly you have the whole whole picture of everything but it's also nice to let it take time and yeah as you said like getting into the the trance state where you actually are completely into the music yeah it seems that on a couple of tracks today we've spoken about having the guts just to keep it simple and knowing that it's going to be more effective if you don't add too much all at once Mm. in the end actually this i wasn't expecting to make comparisons between nelly Furtado and gavin Bryars, but there are links the fact that you keep it simple and you just add element at a time and it ends up sounding quite epic with quite a big sound but you've just got there in a very gentle pace you haven't just come blaring with everything yeah great well let's listen to your third choice so this is a track that you've written yourself yes and tell us more what's it called this is called the storm as a working name for it okay let's have a listen
Great. So that was Mika's own piece called The Storm, kind of working title. <laughs> I know what it's like when you're working on something, you have to give it a name or else it's just called Peace of 12th of August. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's always uh, really crappy titles. <laughs> At least we understand it makes sense, The Storm. It's, yeah. it's, it's a good title. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this piece. This piece was made um, for dance, contemporary dance performance in Cuba. And me and Eric, my companion in Lure, we were there making music for this performance. And then um, we, we did some sketches and we came there and none of the sketches worked with the choreography. And then they had been doing a choreography for a Lassa, Lassa song. And then I was just uh, inspired by the beat of that song and then made uh, this new song out from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this one is, I think it's a real nice mix of everything that happened in Cuba when we were there, like, because we met a quartet of girls playing saxophone, which were super nice, and they were like, yeah, yeah of course we want to play. I just played the beat for them, and they were just jamming along and playing, and, and the guy uh, taking care of all the costumes, he's uh, doing the um, religion of uh, Orijas, the Santeria thing, so he was singing one of these Orijas. Oh, wow, uh, so that's like a Cuban religion yeah it's the jeroba from africa it's a religion that yeah that came to cuba with the slaves and it's still uh, yeah really strong with wow. uh, all the drumming and batad drums and uh, is that what he's singing exactly that's from the oh, santeria that's crazy because i just presumed like you got a sample of some african music but it's kind of also from cuba i don't know i mean the language he's singing on it's coming from africa so i guess it's uh, i don't know if it's mixed up a little bit today but still the songs are performed in this language. Wow. I think of Cuban music and I think of, you know, like sipping mojitos or whatever. Yeah. But there are layers of history. There. Yeah, yeah. And so many layers in the drums as well or in the music as well. I mean, it being there, is uh, you get so full of impacts and impressions all the time. Mm. Yeah, then being there and like no studio, no nothing, just a little tiny hand recorded and like, okay, we need a drum sound and it was just banging on a guitar and the percussion stuff is just garbage cans upside down and it's real nice to work like okay what do we have here like yeah yeah finding what you've got in a space and using that yeah yeah and i think there's something also about limiting your choices i always find i'm super creative when i don't have a lot of instruments i mean we're sat in your studio here in copenhagen and there's loads of stuff loads of instruments and that's great but i guess you have to just choose okay for this track i'm not going to touch any of them i'm just going to use this one synth and play it with one finger or something yeah mainly actually i love to work with just sounds of get limited to the kitchen or I don't know, to the floor outside or just yeah. work with one piece of wood and see how much, okay, what can I do with this, just this thing? Absolutely, I, I'm the same. I always think if you had to do a whole album with one piece of paper, it would seem ridiculous and you'd imagine that the album would be very boring. Well, you know what? Because when you start to play with that paper, you can rip it, you can flick it. If you flick it and loop it, yeah. then you can play that as a, as a note. I'm trying to imitate flicked paper here with my voice. You know, there are ways you can write on it. You have to be super creative. So um, I'm all for limitations. I think all my favourite producers and the kind of gurus who come in um, and, you know, inspire artists, they say, yeah, you've got too many choices. You've got to, you can afford too many orchestras. I think you need to just play with one finger on one crappy synthesizer. Yeah, for sure. I'm always, when I'm composing, I try to like frame myself. So this song, what kind of frame should I be inside now? Or 
been trying to do systems that okay the only the chords I can work with are the one I I take from a hat like with yeah. coincidence and like see okay what can I do with this and yeah even before I start with the piece the coincidence has told me like okay it's those chords only those instruments and this is gonna play the bass and okay now you can start work yeah and then it's like you know exactly what to do but it's not you who need to like think about it or do anything because you just do the work that the paper says yeah that's great yeah i i find that when artists are struggling it's just because they have too much choice particularly with technology now you open up logic you can spend two hours trying to find a snare drum sound and when i see someone starting to do that i tell them to stop (laughs) like really let's not have any snares in this song because if you have to spend two hours trying to get the right sound it probably means that the song doesn't need a snare drum yeah it needs something else. It needs you maybe to hit a large 2D metal dragon like I did today in the studio in Malmö. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Probably. <laughs> That's, I mean, that could always be a snare drum on any song. I mean... Yeah, if you can take uh, a 2D metal dragon with you everywhere you go, you're always going to have a solution. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the final track on this podcast. This is something that I've been involved in. I've been saving this one and I'm in, I'm not in Sweden, I'm in Copenhagen, but I wanted to be in Scandinavia before showing this on the podcast. And this is my remix of Fever Ray, Keep the Streets Empty for Me. Oh 
So that was my remix of Fever Ray's Keep the Streets Empty for Me. I'll talk about it in a second. What do you make of it? Uh, yeah, I think it's super nice. Thank you. It's, uh, I really love when you have like uh, pretty snappy synth sounds that are pretty percussive, like with a short attack and like a good envelope on its really Well, nice. you talk about a good envelope and I feel like I should actually explain how I ended up with that good envelope on the synths. This is actually spiralling off from my first solo album, which I've spoken about on the podcast previously. This is uh, my concept album called Body Piano Machine. And all of the sounds come from the human body, as you might have gathered, body percussion, beatbox and vocals, piano, a real acoustic piano, and the machine, which was my childhood keyboard, a Yamaha PSS 270, which was actually the keyboard I played when I was a kid from 1985, I think. So it only had 99 sounds. And on all my album and all the remixes I did in that style, I had to use that. And that was the only thing I had. So it made me super creative because I had to find all the most interesting sounds out of these 99. Loads of them were useless. Um, But the nice ones were really nice. This is number 18. I know it by heart. And it's... It's got this lovely attack on it. Yeah, it's so nice. I also have some Casio synth guitars and it's also just one sound that works. But when you found those sounds, it's worth keeping the whole instruments just for that sound. I seem to spend half my life in Logic trying to imitate the sounds I had on my Yamaha PSS270. There's something very naive about the sounds, but then when you put it with something dark like this, I think it makes it really interesting, the contrast. Yeah, and I think it was nice. As soon as you bring in vocals as drums as well, it's something with vocal that no instruments can compete with. Yeah. Because everybody can relate to a vocal, and as soon as you hear it, you feel like home. I think think you've struck on something really interesting. Yeah, that's partly why I do it. And that's why I like coming back to beatbox. But when I say beatbox, I mean kind of my style of beatbox, because most beatboxers, they imitate the electronic drum set so well that in the studio, you have no idea that it's a human being. On stage, it's amazing because you see these guys with their mics pressed up against their lips and you say, wow, they sound like a distorted 909 that's amazing fantastic yeah. but in the studio there's no point you may as well just use a drum machine so i tried to use it. 
these sounds where you know that it's a human being. That's yeah. what was interesting to me. Otherwise, I, I may as well have just used drum sets. Yeah, I think that works really well as well in music. I mean, because it's uh, so organic and so the texture of it is so nice to mm. have as percussion as well. It, it's sometimes a little difficult because this sound, mm, it's not a kick drum, you know, it doesn't have the same role. I've in more recently, I've tried to find ways to make it a little bit more attacking, really. Yeah. And also I had to mix it with drum sets as well. I'm, I'm a little less dogmatic now. I've moved on from my body piano machine concept. Yeah. Um, but it, it comes back to what we spoke about before. When you're limited, you can be super creative. That's yeah. why I did it. And actually, even if I do say so myself, I think this is the best thing I did out of that whole period. It's partly because I was so inspired to have got hold of Corinne's vocals, yeah. Fever Ray. This is thanks to Cecilia Nordlund, who is a mutual friend, and that's who put me in touch with Mika in the first place. She actually sings the second verse. And on this remix, I think you can tell that it's not Corinne singing the second mm -hmm. verse. On the album, whenever I've told people, oh, keep the streets empty for me, it's a duet, people who know the album by heart go, really? What? When? What? The whole second verse is not Cohen singing, it's Cecilia. But people haven't really noticed. If on the original, her vocals are mixed quite low and there's a lot of droney kind of synth pads and stuff. Yeah. And I think people don't even notice that it's Cecilia singing. So, of course, one of my aims on the remix was to give Cecilia her moment. Uh, so I, when, I, when I got the vocal stems through, I realised that she was lower, actually, and she needed a lot more compression. So I boosted it and really gave her her moment. And you can hear the nice contrast. And obviously, in the kind of, I don't know what you call it, bridge, I suppose, of the remix. I did this bouncing back so you get Cecilia and Karin, you know, replying yeah. to each other so that you really understand that it is a, a duet and but, you feel... But do you call it a triet now when it's actually three people singing it? Or I suppose I am. I've made my own little kind of weird Eastern yeah. choir. Yeah, 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 but here's, yeah, it's also a lot of influences from, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, uh, I love it when you, when it is uh, sounds that you don't hear them in the pop music, but it's nice influences in, mm. in a song like this. I just suddenly realised that this beat is quite kind of Caribbean, really. You could have a kind of rap on top of that. Yeah. I don't know where that came from, but... I also got like a little bit like pygmy vocal. Uh... Yeah. But again, that's because I was trying to be super creative. I knew that the only things I had to arrange it with were this little synth, which was very limited because yeah. of its 99 sounds, uh, and the piano. But if I wanted a sustained sound, I'd probably have to do it myself. Yeah. So I come up with this because I thought, well, that sounds like a almost like a violin part yeah. or an oboe or something, you know. But it also sounds like a language. I yeah, mean, it's always nice to sing like you actually are saying something or like expressing something. It's a trick I use quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing about song, like the piano. It's playing one phrase uh, longer and longer. Yeah. I think it started at three and then four. Well spotted. Five. Uh, I mean, it's real nice. Thanks. I, I did something quite sneaky in that I highlighted the new note by yeah. having it up the octave. So it goes ding, 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 ding. It took me a long time to practice it on the piano. I had to play it on a real piano. There was no quantizing. It was really difficult. I'm not the best pianist in the world, but I got there in the end. When you get a good vocal through for a remix and you're inspired, then you go to places that are really, really inspired places. So thanks, Cecilia, for making that happen. And thanks, Corinne, for allowing it to happen. Great. Just before we finish the podcast, what are you working on at the moment? 
Uh, right now I'm uh, actually doing some recording with my band uh, Faela. We're doing it here in my, what could it be, 10 square meters or <laughs> even smaller room. <laughs> How many people in this band? It's eight people band. No so, way! <laughs> so it's it's recording one at a time, but uh, everybody are always here when we do the recording, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty crowded. I'm uh, impressed. <laughs> I'm really impressed. Yeah. And then I'm going to start to try to finish some of my own stuff as well. Until now, it has mainly been doing um, productions for theater and, and dance and uh, contemporary circus. So now, yeah, I'm going to take some time and just finish some of my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Well, I think we're all going to look forward to that. Thanks so much for being yeah. on the podcast. Thank you. If you'd like to get in touch, you can follow me on Twitter at Magica or just send me an email, podcast at Magica.com. If you'd like more information about the tracks that we've been listening to, and heaven knows there are some interesting ones on the podcast this time, so do have a listen and buy them if you'd like to support the artists. You can just go to Magica.com forward slash podcast. You're going to find show notes and all the links that you need. Before we wrap up, it's vocal impro time. I think it's obvious what the theme has been here. Economy, right? Doing a lot with a little. A few sounds and somehow making them sound epic. (laughs) (laughs) Economy of material, okay. (laughs) Maybe epic was the wrong word. Making them sound interesting. (laughs) Okay, let's see how little we can do. Tusen tack. Ja, tusen tack.